0: Alexis. Alexis! Alexis. Yeah. All right. Hi, guys. I'm Alexis. I'm a heroin addict. Um, I was told that if my sobriety date was not the most important date in my life, that it will change. And in my past, that has been part of my story. Um, originally, I'm from Chicago. I have a dad who is very much affiliated with the motorcycle club. and. That was his family, you know? And I have a mom who's super codependent and super enabling, because she was always trying to make up for the things that my dad would, would never do for us. And um, my mom ended up getting remarried to an incredible man, but at the time I hated him because he was trying to take on the parental role of a dad that like I kind of had in my life, but like he did just fine, like not being there. And um, this man had three kids of his own, and um, I was able to watch, like, super healthy co-parenting go on with them. You know, but my dad would tell my sister and I that he would be at the house Friday to come pick us up and would show up Monday morning stumbling out of his car, like, super confused as to, like, why we were getting ready for school. And um, that was, like, my norm. I was, that, that was a very, like, normal routine for my sister and I. And... Um, you know, like I had like a lot of anger, but it never could identify where that anger would come from. So my mom put me in sports growing up and I fell in love with competitive cheerleading. You know, I was able to like put wear and tear on my body and get super loud and yell and nobody really gave a shit because everybody else in the room was doing the same exact thing. And it was a super healthy outlet. And, um, At 13 years old, I injured my back super bad that the doctor gave me, like, my first narcotic, and I fell in love with that. It took away every insecurity. It took away every feeling of loneliness. It took away every feeling of anger, and it took away pain. You know, so I started identifying, like, that fearlessness with cheer with, okay, if I get hurt, there is something that will take away that pain. And that fearlessness bled over in every other aspect of my life. And, um, I became so fearless that I injured my body so badly that I was told that I couldn't cheer anymore. So like, I'm super like dramatic and my whole life was over, you know? So I started hanging around people that were just kind of doing fucked up shit, you know, because then like that came the adrenaline, like I was like an adrenaline junkie and like people like sneaking out of school, like, oh, like I wanted to be a part of that, you know? And, um, with the more like my life was becoming unmanageable, I noticed the more I was getting closer with my dad. You know, and um, I then became like followed in his footsteps and I became one of the members of his club. You know, at like 15 years old, I was on the back of a motorcycle with a Glock in my boot. And like, I thought that that shit was normal. I thought that that was so normal. And like, whenever I tell my story, I kind of compare myself to like Hannah Montana, if any of you are familiar with that. (laughs) Um, Because my dad like was grimy. Super fucking grimy and my mom raised my sister and I in a super like wealthy town in Chicago so like when I would come home I was like the classy addict that like you know the cocaine champagne type addict and with my dad It was like whatever I could fucking find, you know, and um, when my dad went to prison I like wanted that love like I finally got that love I was looking for and So like we had glasses kind of similar to these and when he was in prison I would fill him with any drug that he wanted and we would swap glasses on the table so like the fact that my dad was okay with me like putting myself in harm's way like i thought that that was love i was convinced that that is how a man shows him that he loves you and um that like so like that wrongful thinking of love again bled into every aspect of my life super toxic relationships if a man hit me he really loved me he really loved me but then if he gave me heroin afterwards like he he wanted to marry me You know, and, like, that was, like, my sick delusion of love. And, you know, my poor mom, like, I, I was so sick at this point, like, I didn't give a fuck. I did not care that my mom was up all night crying, wondering where I was or if I was dead or alive. Or if the boyfriend that I was with at the time, like, beat me half to death. I didn't care because, like, I was like, I'm the only one getting loaded. I'm the one putting myself in these situations, so why would she care? Um, again, like, super codependent and super enabling. So, like, any opportunity she could, she would just try to help me, you know, but I took it as her like blocking me from my one true love and that was getting loaded, you know, my one true love was getting loaded because that was the one thing that like, right when I felt like any sort of narcotic go into my body, I like felt at ease, you know, and and right when I would put shit up my nose, I felt at ease, so everything like just put me at ease and that was my love because like everything in my life was so fucking chaotic. And, um, you know, there was a lot of, like, mental institutions and adolescent drug treatment centers, and, like, people would pull out a book, like, telling me, like, what my disease was like. I'm like, yeah, fuck you. You have no idea. You know, like, when you're reading to me out of a book of what my disease is like, I'm, not, I'm instantly going to shut you out because you look like a, a kook to me, you know? and. Um, So finally, like, it got to a place where I needed help, you know, a lot of overdoses, a lot of, like, kicking, and it was just, it was complete insanity, and for me, like, when I'm getting loaded, I think that I am, like, the baddest bitch in the world, right? And then I get clean, like, coming here tonight, I'm, like, fucking, my skeleton is shaking because I have so much anxiety, like, I'm a little bitch, all right? And I can stand up here from a podium and tell you that, that, like, I got clean and, like, all my vulnerability, like, came up, you know, and, like, fear is real, you know, but today, like, I don't have to run and, like, do dope to to not face my fear today. You know, like, I can walk through shit, and I have a bunch of people around me, and that was not the case before. And for me, like, getting clean in Chicago just wasn't an option. You know, so I had to get on a plane, and I don't remember the plane right? Like, I don't remember, like, how I got from, like, point A to point B. I just know that there was a big suitcase in my room, and when I'm getting loaded, I'm super combative. Super combative. And I was, like, trying to fight my mom and telling her, like, I can pack my own bag, and I don't know what happened, but it was an empty suitcase when I came out to California. <laughs> but, um, Jesus. But, uh, so I'm on the plane, and, like, the, in the front of this the seat in front of me had a little screen on it, and it showed a little airplane from you know chicago o'hare airport to lax and i kind of come to on the plane and like this is my insanity i woke up and i thought that i like called some radio station and want a trip out here <laughs> And um, all these things that happened afterwards like validated that thinking, you know, like I landed and some man calls me, giving me directions on how to get to baggage claim. And then he's like holding a sign with my last name on it, again, like validating the fact that I just won a trip because like, (laughs) I can't, I look tore the fuck up. So somebody like wanted to be seen with me, like obviously this was a big deal. Mm -hmm. And I see him like getting like bracing himself to like pick up this gigantic suitcase and he like looked very disappointed when there was nothing (laughs) in it. And he's like loading it all into a Suburban, and um, I'm getting stoked. Like there's like three rows in the back of the Suburban, like I'm getting ready to chill, and I'm like, dude, where are we going? And he looks in the rear mirror and he's like, honey, you're going to detox. And there was a kid in the way back seat that they just picked up. And all I hear is, idiot. <laughs> and like everything came, like was happening. Like all these emotions, all this anger, all this rage. And I'm, then I'm like trying to call my codependent mom. I'm like, mom, please. It's like you get me out of this situation. I'll never get loaded again. Ha Right. And she also didn't buy that. Because like I'm that addict too that like when I pray to God, I was only praying to God for like When I'm hunched over the toilet, like, getting super sick, and I'm like, God, please, if you make me feel better, I'll never get loaded again. And then, like, five hours later, here we are again, praying, because I'm sick, you know? And, like, it was, like, my sponsor calls, like, the vending machine type prayers. And, like, that's exactly what I was doing. So, like, God did not have my back. But I also blamed God for all of my misfortunes, because God forbid I took accountability for any of my own shit. And, um... You know, like, I, I just did it. Like, they had me so fucked up in detox, so I was, like, cool with it. But then, like, you know, I had to go to inpatient and then the sober living. And, like, there was no way of me getting back to Chicago. I had no fucking money. And my mom could sleep. She could sleep at night. So there was no way that she was sending me back to Chicago. And when I was in sober living, my bags were packed for about a month and a half because I had this, like, whole idea that I was going to run away. Okay yeah again remember like i get clean and i turn into a little bitch so obviously that wasn't going to happen and uh, like it it worked you know like i i was doing the damn thing for about a year and a half you know like people would sit up here and be like get a sponsor go to meetings like this fucking list you know and so i i did the list but i never knew how to apply that list to my life Mm -hmm. so when they told me to get a sponsor cool i got the kookiest motherfucker in the room (laughs) and then when they told me to work some steps okay like Yeah, I'll I'll do these, but Google assisted me on every question, you know, and then when they told me to go to meetings, I was in the back of the meeting with my hood up, like shaking in a ball because like I was too afraid to identify as an addict because if I did that meant that like I had a problem, you know, so yeah, I like did a program, but like never worked one, you know, like I did this list that people would fucking preach to me all the time and like... To be honest with you, I don't really give a fuck if you guys want to work some steps or go to meetings or whatever, you know? But for me, I know that my program is all-encompassing. It involves the fellowship, the sponsorship, the going to meetings, the doing step work, the being of service, because I hate this. This is uncomfortable for me. But I was taught that if you get comfortable while you're in recovery, it's probably, you're probably on your way out, you know? So I keep doing the next uncomfortable thing. And um, I did. I ended up getting loaded. That shit got me loaded, and um, I told myself, like, I live in Orange County now, right? Like, I can be bougie and have a glass of wine because alcohol's not my thing. Mm-hmm. Well, I had knee surgery, so I had a huge brace on my leg, so I couldn't go to the grocery store, so I had to Instacart it. And, like, my finger got super happy with, like, adding a lot of, like, boxed wines to my thing. And um, next thing you know, there was, I, I drink, and there was a man at my door trying to sell me dope, and, like, He was a creepy fucking man, too. And I let him in. And him and I getting loaded together was not the only thing that we did in my apartment. And the thing is, I wanted to be like, what's wrong with you? Like, you were sleeping with a gimp. But no, like, what was wrong with me letting some random ass man into my apartment while I'm already under the influence? You know, for me, it's like right when I fuck up, all hell breaks loose because I'm like, I've already already relapsed. You know, so then everything I could get my hands on is what I'm gonna do, and I went on a sick run for, a good like year and a half, you know, it was, it got scary. And all those things that I said I would never do ended up happening. All those not yet ended up happening. You know, like losing everything that I had ended up happening. My codependent mom actually wanting nothing to do with me ended up happening. You know, I would have Orange County Sheriff's Department come banging on my door because I didn't know again if I was alive or dead. And like, I got this bright idea that maybe I should get a dog. <laughs> and um, it worked out pretty well. It did until like, My dog looked just as fucked up as I did, you know, and um, that dog is my whole entire life. Like, I have her name tattooed on my hand and a portrait of her on my thigh. Like, that is my child. And, um, but that was the same child that kept me from getting clean before, you know, like I used her as an excuse. I was like, well, if I go to treatment again, like, who's going to take care of my dog? And I just kept using that excuse because I wasn't ready, you know, but because I kind of intermingled with people in the, in the program before, like, they were able to help me out. You know, like, when I was ready, people were able to help me. And, um, yeah, I hit a place of desperation. You know, like, my mom, I was losing my apartment. My mom flew out to help me pack up my stuff. And she's like, the only way I'll do that is if you go to treatment. And the night she came out, she found me OD'd on my, uh, in my living room. My dog was sitting on top of me. And of course I wanted to blame her. Like, what the fuck did you do to me? You know, it's like, no. Again, like that lack of accountability that I had. And, um, something clicked. Something clicked this time. You know, like I think seeing her face, because like when I was getting loaded, I didn't see her before. You know, like I just heard like the yelling on the phone, but like seeing like that pain in her eyes that I was causing her, something clicked for me. And, um, I was way too violent and way too aggressive for her to drive into treatment for herself so a man drove from banning california which is like bumblefuck california um on his day off and came to laguna niguel to come pick me up and again i'm getting loaded in the back of the van but i'm like dude like what are you doing you know like how are you blah 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 and he tells me he's like listen the only reason why i did this is because my daughter is actively getting loaded and you're about her age and if she had any glimmer of hope i would hope that somebody would do that for her And a loaded thought of mine, I'm like, oh, I'm going to do that one day, you know, two and a half years clean. And I finally get to say that I do intakes at a treatment center and I get to help women, you know, and like that was that was probably the one thing that I ever followed through with in life. You know, like I, I got clean and sober and um, I hated it. I was sitting in again, the back of the meeting shaking. I did not identify as a newcomer for until I probably had. Like, 29 days, you know, so I could finally say that, like, I did it. You know, again, I ended up picking a sponsor who would, every time I would call her, she would start crying, and I was like, this is perfect. But, like, I knew exactly, I I was able to play the tape all the way through, I knew exactly what would happen. So, um, I was at, okay, so I got to be honest, because half of you guys go to this uh, treatment center. I also went through sunsets, and um, the self-will thing kicked in, right, and I had to go pick up my dog. But the program director told me that if I have my dog, that I'll get kicked out of treatment. But I'm like, let's see how far I could push this. Right? So I was like still attending groups while sleeping in my car down the street from them with my dog. And like they ended up kicking me out, you know? But I'm like, oh, poor me. Like I want to throw the pity party for myself. So for a good like four and a half, five months, I was homeless in my recovery. I was homeless sleeping in my car and sleeping in momos all throughout San Clemente. But you know what? I never picked up. I never fucking picked up, and I still see the program director, whoever she is now, at meetings, and like, we get to laugh about that insanity today, you know, because if I'm living in self-will, I'm pretty much doing what I want to do, but when I'm in God's will, I'm doing what I have to do, you know, and, and today, like, I, I try to live in self, or God's will as much as possible, but yeah, I for sure slip into self-will, you know, like, I, I still get, allow fear to, like, run my life, and that self-pity, and, like, the lack of accountability, but today, I have people that call me out for that. You know but i was sitting in a meeting on christmas eve when i was like living in my car and i heard this woman share and there was five people in a meeting which usually held like 80 people you know and she just shared my story and that was the first time that i can look at another woman and tell her the truth of what was going on with me because i was too ashamed to raise my hand in a meeting and say that i was living in a hotel because don't you know an addict living in a hotel is probably slamming dope and like my ego was way too big for all that. So I, I didn't tell anybody, you know, and I was like, my secrets were keeping me fucking sick. And uh, I can honestly say that was my first spiritual experience walking into the rooms. You know, I never trusted my mom, like any family, any teacher, any police officer, nobody, but I trusted this woman. And all she had was a little bit of more time than I did and a little knowledge of this program. You know, and I just turned everything over to her. And that is the same woman that helped me get my first bank account. That is the same woman that has walked me through a lot of health shit. That is the same woman that has worked all of my steps with me. You know, has walked me through getting my own apartment and, like, all these blessings. But you know what? She was also there when I found freedom. That is the same woman that helped me find freedom and gratitude and serenity in this program. You know, and and today, like, I get to sponsor, like, beautiful women like Casey. And it's a trip, you know, because, like... Sometimes I look in the mirror, I'm like, who the fuck would want what I have today? You know, because, like, I'm insane. I have such insane thinking, you know, and um, I don't know, I'm just, I'm super blessed and grateful that, like, I, I knew where to come. Like, when shit got rough, I knew, my feet knew exactly where to go. And I will say, like, the whole, like, working steps, like, it's fucking weird. Working steps and going to meetings and calling a sponsor is fucking weird. It is, you know, but like, I love the results of it. I absolutely love the results. Like I call my sponsor with some kooky bullshit all the time. And it's like, I spent years trying to suppress those feelings, but like I'm picking up the phone and calling a woman, you know, I'm like writing down feelings that I'm not using Google for my step work today, <laughs> you know, and it's like all these things of like growth and I'm employable, you know, like I can set goals for myself and maintain them. You know, like I'm back in school, which is a trip because like I, there was a play, a point in my recovery. I'm sorry, when I was getting loaded that like I was okay with the fact that I was going to die an addict. I was totally okay with that fact. And that is a fucking scary place to be. You know, and today like I get to watch people's feet around here. Like I get to see like, I know how to stay in these rooms. You know, but sometimes I need to be reminded and there's a lot of people unfortunately that have to die for me to stay clean today. You know, my, my cousin is one of us and he was found in a field in Vegas at the beginning of this month, stabbed to death. You know, and all I can do is pray because like that could be me because my disease takes me to some pretty fucking dark places, you know, but like I have the choice that I have the choice of fucking freedom, you know, like I'm clear minded enough to decide like if I want to get loaded because I know exactly what's going to happen or I can stay clean and sober and maybe I'm not going to know what's going to happen, but like it's probably going to be better than the end result if I got loaded. You know and i don't know i'm just i'm grateful to be of service and to share with you guys at this meeting so thanks for participating in my recovery and have a happy thanksgiving yeah.